GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, this is Canada's Ag Day. And in addition to plenty of photos and videos on social media, Saskatoon is playing host to the Ag Awareness Summit. We'll hear from the Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan president, uh, that by the name of, of course, uh, Clinton Monchuk. Also on today's program, Regina-based Protein Industries Canada has received re- renewed five-year federal funding of $150 million. We'll hear from their chief technology officer, Megan Gervais, on what they have planned for that. And research exploring the factors related to the health of the gut of the pig is expected to result in new interventions that will improve animal health, welfare, and productivity. Dr. Matthias Costa, an assistant professor with the University of Saskatchewan's Western College of Veterinary Medicine, will tell us about the role gut health plays in the overall health of the animal. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. This is Canada's Ag Day, and in addition to plenty of photos and videos on social media, Saskatoon is playing host to the Ag Awareness Summit. It started last night with the announcement of the Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan Champion Award. It recognizes a person who has worked to build public trust in farming and food in our province and beyond. The Champion Award was presented to Alana Cook. Cook has a lengthy resume, Deputy Minister to the Premier, the Provincial Deputy Minister of Agriculture, and President of the Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance. She is currently the Board Chair of the Global Institute for Food Security at the University of Saskatchewan. Cook and her husband Jerry Hertz farm at Edenwold near Regina. In her acceptance speech last night, she asked what better way to make a difference in the world than to champion the best people and the best industry. To be able to share our story of how we farm and why we need innovation and access to all the tools and technology to sustainably feed the world is where so much of our focus has been the last 10 years since the very first Ag Awareness Summit. We have come so far and made huge progress on getting our message out and we have so much more to do. Maintaining and building public trust for agriculture and food has never been more important considering the challenges we face with global and domestic pressure on climate policy and potential policy and regulatory impact. Now back to the Ag Awareness Summit. This is the 10th annual event. Clinton Monchuk is the Executive Director of Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan. When we went back and started to look at some of our stats, just with farm and food care, we've reached and actually engaged with 12 million individuals here in this country. And and that's just unbelievable. When this started out 10 years ago and, and the first conference was put on by the Ministry of Agriculture here in Saskatchewan, 
it has grown leaps and bounds. And the industry has really gotten behind the push to try and make public trust front and center. You see more farmers posting things online, trying to engage with classrooms, with community groups. And I just think it's excellent. I think we really are moving the dial when it comes to public trust in agriculture. And uh, this is another great event to make sure we can celebrate that and, and learn from what others are doing. He says the agriculture industry is constantly trying to correct disinformation out there that's predominantly on social media. There are those that are actively trying to be against you name it, right? Whether it's one type of agriculture practice and animal agriculture or some of the different products we use, we're trying to get in front of that. And and a great example of that is our Canadian Food Focus initiative, where we're actually taking what Canadian consumers are searching for and then making articles, making videos, and trying to expand some of that engagement with those individuals. So when they do see some of that noise out there on social media or from a friend, they can say, hey, no, actually, I saw this from an actual farmer, and this is really what they do. And you're right, there is a lot that's going out there, and and we're trying to be as proactive as we can with a lot of our messaging. Monchuk notes Tim McMillan is one of their guest speakers. Some of the listeners might already know Tim McMillan uh, used to be the Minister of Energy here in Saskatchewan. He was the President and CEO of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. He's going to be talking a lot of how the petroleum industry really in general had some of their issues around trust and some of the activists around that and really give the agriculture industry a a little bit of a heads up on what might be coming forward in agriculture or what is already coming forward in agriculture in terms of some of those pushes from different special interest groups. He's then going to talk to us about how we can try and combat a little bit of that. He adds they also have some different people leading some workshop sessions. There's three different workshops that we're having. So Tobin Dick, uh, some of you might know already, he's a farmer and a journalist, going to be talking about politics, profit, environment, and then have a little bit of discussion about that afterwards. Heather Thompson from the University of Alberta is going to be talking about consumer spending habits. And then Travis Lowe from right here in Saskatoon, who owns uh, Blue Moose Media, is going to be talking about social media. So Everybody who's there will have an opportunity to go to two of the three different workshops, again, in an effort to try and make sure that they bring some some tools back with them that they can use either on their own farm or with the organizations that they work for. And Monchuk explains who this conference is geared to. So really, it's it's focused on the industry. So uh, a lot of the commodity groups, agribusinesses, we have a good showing of students that are going to be coming. Actually, the Moose Jaw Polytech students in the Agriculture Diploma Program are going to be coming up as well to be part of this conference. So really, we want to focus on those who are in the industry to make sure that they have, again, some of those tools that they can take back. Clinton Monchuk is the Executive Director of Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan. It's time now for the AgReview portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, AgReview. The earthquake that devastated parts of Turkey and Syria last week taking the lives of more than 40,000 people, may not have a major effect on pulse markets, according to one analyst. 
John Dreger from Leftfield Commodity Research in Winnipeg says that while natural disasters like an earthquake can take on a significant human cost, there is often very little change on commodity markets. However, Dreger cautioned that the long-term impact of the earthquake is still unknown, and while there could be an increase in demand if pulses are used in food aid packages, he believes there would be little change in prices. Dreger added that he is unaware of any international supply chain disruptions in the affected areas, but he thinks there are local impacts. Meanwhile, prices are staying steady for the most part, according to Dreger. The Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council has received funding from Employment and Social Development Canada, or ESDC, for growing the agriculture workforce of the future and cultivating Canada's post-pandemic recovery. This is part of ESDC's Sectoral Workplace Solutions Program that helps key sectors of the economy implement solutions to address their current and emerging workforce needs. 40% of employers surveyed in primary agriculture in the 2021 Understanding the Effects of COVID-19 on Canada's Agriculture Workforce Research reported not being able to fill vacancies. The industry suffered earning losses of $2.9 billion in total sales, directly attributable to unfilled vacancies to the pandemic. This is nearly double the $1.5 billion in law sales recorded in 2014. Clean Seed Capital Group Limited, makers of the Smart Seeder, has signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Mahindra and Mahindra Limited to bring the seeding technology to India and to collaborate on other related opportunities. The companies will work together to introduce the Minimax, a scaled-down model of its North American Smart Seeder Max, to India's farmers and to farmers in other countries. Graham Lempriere, CEO of Clean Seed Capital Group Limited, says their common vision is to implement technologies that will truly benefit farmers by generating meaningful impacts on the agricultural ecosystem and environment around the world. He says they're grateful for all the support from the Government of Canada, the Saskatchewan Government, and the Consul General of India to bring the Minimax project to life in India. Mexico has scrapped a deadline to ban genetically modified corn for animal feed and industrial use amid trade tensions with the United States, but retained plans to prohibit use of the GM grain for human consumption as well as the herbicide glyphosate. The move, approved in a government decree, eliminates January 2024 as the date for the country to forbid GM corn for animal feed and industrial use. Amid a brewing dispute over the possible disruption of billions of dollars worth of corn trade, U.S. officials and farmers had called for clarity on the ban from Mexico. The latter buys about 17 million metric tons of mostly GM yellow corn from the U.S. annually, most of which is used for animal feed. Mexico says it still plans to revoke and refrain from granting new authorizations for GM corn for human consumption, which the decree defined as flour, dough or tortilla made from the grain. 
GEA has announced it is moving manufacturing of its rotary parlor platforms to Galesville, Wisconsin. Prior to this announcement, the components came from New Zealand. However, increasing costs and disruptions in overseas shipping pushed the company to make the switch. This move makes their rotary milking structures the only ones in the industry that are made in the USA. The Wisconsin plant began making surge milking equipment five decades ago, producing basic milking items such as milking units, pulsators, vacuum pumps, pipeline washers, electrical controls, and milk receivers. The plant will now begin to produce GEA's rotary parlors, the Dairy Rotor T8800 and T8900. The GEA Dairy Rotor is available in configurations up to 120 stalls, 75 or 90 degree angled stalls and drop-down or non-drop-down takeoff arms and comes in two different platform options. And that is the AgriView portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and minus 14 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Regina-based Protein Industries Canada has received renewed five-year federal funding of $150 million. Chief Technology Officer Megan Gervais says the funding will help support and expand the development of new products in Canada's plant-based food, feed, and ingredient sector. Recently had the announcement that we have received renewal of $150 million coming into Protein Industries Canada. And so this will give us another five-year mandate to work with Canadian industry on commercializing products based on Canadian plant-based protein. Funding is very important. Well, this funding is, is really um, at the core of the work that we do. And so we're able to take this funding, leverage it with industry dollars, and um, really help to facilitate the development of exciting projects in, in Canada for the benefit of Canadians and for our agri-food sector. Gervais explains the goal of Protein Industries Canada. So at Protein Industries Canada, we support trailblazing Canadian companies in uh, commercializing technology that takes advantage of the crops that we grow here and turns them into ingredients, food products, seed products and bioindustrial products as well. So it's really about increasing the, the GDP coming out of Canadian crops. She says their first five years of funding was very successful. That, so um, our first fund started off also with a $150 million investment from the Government of Canada. We leveraged that into 55 different projects split between what we refer to as capacity building projects that really support the entire ecosystem and help companies to do the good work kind of across all companies. And then the rest of our projects, and it was roughly, I think, about 35 of, of the group of projects were technology-focused projects. And so those were focused on helping industry-led groups of consortia come together and develop new technologies, commercialize products, bring, bring new ingredients into the market, and then really help to, to grow Canada's food processing sector. Gervais outlined some of the interesting food products being made out of Canadian crops. Some of the ones that people might be most familiar with were, were work on meat alternatives, so using things like pea protein um, in different types of blends to create um, alternatives to different center-of-the-plate meat products. We also had beverage-focused projects, so looking at, say, dairy alternative products, 
Um, and then also things that went on sort of the bioindustrial side. So one project that focused on taking pea and lentil hulls, so, you know, really a co-product for manufacturing the food ingredients, and turn them into a uh, micronutrient fertilizer. So they're then being put back into into the ground that they came from, really, and used to help grow more nutritious and delicious crops. She also talks about some of their future product plans. So in the next five years, we, we're again going to focus on sort of four pillars of technology. So we're looking at genetics. So how do we get the best seeds into the ground? Crops, which would really be, you know, the... The application of digital technology to sustainability, so measurement, verification, and reporting. And then down on the other end of the value stream, looking at um, ingredient manufacturing and and creation of products. And so our four pillars this time will be genetics, crops, ingredients, and products. And uh, really looking for projects that come into any of those technology areas, or ideally working with a group of partners who are touching on multiple areas. Megan Gervais is the Chief Technology Officer with Regina-based Protein Industries Canada. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 164.60, that's down 7. June live cattle trading at 160.20, down 2. March feeder cattle trading at 187.27, up 62. April feeder cattle trading at 191.20, up 30. April lean hogs trading at 86.40, down 85. May lean hogs trading at 95.40, down 65. And that's the livestock market conditions. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Research exploring the factors related to the health of the gut of the pig is expected to result in new interventions that will improve animal health, welfare, and productivity. Dr. Matthias Costa, an assistant professor with the University of Saskatchewan's Western College of Veterinary Medicine, tells us about the role gut health plays in the overall health of the animal. The more and more we study it, the more and more we realize that gut health is very important beyond just the gut. So first of all, as a, a producer, obviously, uh, your main goal is that the animals perform well, so they gain weight at a given rate so that you minimize costs um, and obviously improve welfare and they, they will get out of the door, right? So gut health is important from that perspective. With a healthy gut, it means your the pigs can digest nutrients properly, can absorb nutrients properly, and will not waste a lot of uh, feed. So that's uh, all positive sides. But in the past decade or so, we've learned that gut health goes beyond just gut health. Gut health actually means health in general. Without a healthy gut, you are not a healthy individual, right? It applies to us as well. So. Uh, We have learned that the gut is directly connected with the lungs, for example, or the skin, or even the brain, right? I'll give you a few examples. So there's uh, research that was conducted in the past past couple of years here showing that uh, some pigs that have a specific type of bacteria in their guts are actually less susceptible to respiratory disease due to PERS or mycoplasma. So again, it comes down to if you have a healthy gut, you are just more resilient to disease. 
we have also uh, started to understand how your gut actually, well, let's put it, let's take this this way. There is essentially more neurons, so more um, uh, brain cells uh, in your gut than your brain or a very close number. So when it comes to it, you have a lot of neurons in your gut and they communicate and they also communicate with your brain. And bacteria that are in your gut and in the pig's gut can actually communicate uh, with you or the host through some uh, specific compounds and those can modulate behavior. So there's some research lately showing that gut health is associated with uh, behavior such as uh, tail biting. So we're really learning how gut health affects much more than just the gut. And it, gut health actually means general health, right? So as time goes by, we're learning that overall, you want to make sure your pigs have a healthy gut so that they can have a healthy life. He tries to define what gut health actually means. So to be honest, that is the million dollar question. Um, we are looking into defining what gut health means. Overall, anyone and most people would agree that gut health means that your, your stomach, uh, your intestines, they're all performing normally and they're free of disease, right? There's uh, nothing causing any abnormality. So gut health just means that your gut is healthy, it's happy, you don't have diarrhea, there is no vomiting, uh, there is no other signs suggesting that the gut is not working properly. But what we tr are troubled with is how do we characterize? So how can we tell uh, between two individuals which one has a healthy gut and which one does not? It's easy sometimes when we say, hey, you know, individual A has diarrhea or is vomiting, so obviously their gut's not very healthy. There's something wrong here. That is straightforward. But sometimes it's not that obvious. We, you know, not everything um, that impacts gut health actually leads to clinical signs, actually leads to vomiting or diarrhea, for example. So we are trying to understand what can we use to actually benchmark gut health and say, this gut is healthier than that gut. And perhaps this is because there's less stress. This animal is not as stressed as the other one. This animal um, has been given antibiotics and it's controlling the bacteria and, and therefore the gut is not suffering so many uh, challenges, right? So at the end of the day, gut health is somewhat easy to define. The problem is how can we characterize or how can we say a given gut is healthy? So there's a, a difference there between understanding what gut health is and understanding what a healthy gut is. Costa outlines the signs to look for that indicate the gut isn't working well. So overall, um, when there is a reason for the gut not be doing its job properly, uh, the most, let's put it this way, obvious and also severe signs are vomiting um, and diarrhea right? Sometimes in a petence. So if the, an animal is not eating, it may not have diarrhea, may not be vomiting because really there's not much uh, to expel either way. So just the fact that this animal is not 
interested in it, that can also suggest that uh, there is a gut health issue. But it's not always that obvious. It's not always that clear. And that's what we are we have been investigating the past few years is how do we know this gut is healthy, right? It's very easy if you if you know you have a flu and you you know you get a thermometer, put it under your arm and say, hmm, looks like I have fever and you know the temperature is this and that is an indicator that there's something wrong with you, right? And that's what we have been looking at is can we find an indicator that this gut is not healthy? even before we may be seeing diarrhea or vomiting or something else. We're looking for what we'd call a marker, but a marker that we don't need to euthanize an animal to look for, a marker that we can l- investigate um, right next uh, to the animal, right at the pen, just you know, jump in uh, to the pen and look, this animal looks good? No, let's take a look here. Why is this animal not doing well? Oh, it's a gut health issue because for example, we can see that this specific enzyme uh, has changed. So while it seems straightforward that you, one would think, hey, you can just measure specific signs like these, the gut is such a complex environment because it's not just the gut, right? The gut is a portion of the pig or a portion of us, but the gut is also home to 10 to the 14th, I can even put a, a number, a, a name to that, right? It's billions and billions of microorganisms. So there's so many relationships and so many things going on at the same time that when we're trying to find one single um, marker, one single abnormality is a bit naive. So what we're learning lately is exactly that, is that gut health, well, we understand what is gut health, but defining a healthy gut is a big, big challenge. And sometimes guts are not healthy, but those changes, they are uh, what we would call subclinical. There is no clinical sign, but the gut's not performing well. And that affects health and that affects performance. That's Dr. Matthias Costa, an assistant professor with the University of Saskatchewan's Western College of Veterinary Medicine. I'll have more with Dr. Costa coming up in just a few moments, but first it's time for the Commodities Update, and that's a presentation of Lane Realty. When it's time to sell the farm, call Lane Realty, your trusted and experienced farmland real estate company. To include your property for showings, call 620-7260 or visit lanerealty.com. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down in the nearby months this hour. March canola trading at 8.2130, down $4.80. May canola trading at 8.1570, down $2 per metric ton. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 9.23 per bushel, down 9 cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 8.95 and a quarter, down 10 and 3 quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 771 and 3 quarters that's down 14 and a quarter cents March corn trading at 676 per bushel down 6 and a quarter cents March soybeans trading at 1525 per bushel down 12 and a half cents March oats trading at 358 and a half down 7 and a quarter cents and that's the commodities update.
Please stay tuned. GX and Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX and Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. We've been hearing from Dr. Matthias Costa, an assistant professor with the University of Saskatchewan's Western College of Veterinary Medicine. He's been telling us about the role gut health plays in the overall health of the animal. And he talks about his specific research on gut health. At this point, we're trying to narrow down um, specific markers of gut health. So we have been exploring a few. We're interested in the in, in gut health and infectious causes of uh, this balance. So we're interested in how infections can impact gut health. And we're interested in finding markers that say there is there is an infection going on here that is impacting gut health and we should do something about this, right? We we understand that there is a multitude of factors that can impact that. So we decided to start with that one that we believe we have a good understanding on, which is infectious disease. So our research lately have really focused on, can we find some kind of uh, whistleblower before it really hits home hard? Is there a whistleblower that'll say, there's something going wrong here with this gut, let's, let's do something about it. And what we have learned in the past few years is that there are a few markers. One of these markers is an enzyme that's been known for a while. Uh, it is actually employed in human medicine uh, for the control and, and, um, and observation of patients uh, who have inflammatory bowel disease, and it's called calprotectin. So calprotectin is an enzyme their immune cells will secrete, but those immune cells are w what we'll call the, the first line of immune cells. So the first ones to get to the battlefield, they're the first ones to have to engage in action. So, and they release this enzyme. So we believe that this would be a, a good strategy so that we know when something is early on. Um, one of the pitfalls of that though is that this enzyme, while well, it, it's secreted in the gut, so it becomes part of the feces, and it obviously, if it's secreted too, um, too proximal in the gut, so very close to the stomach, it will disappear as it goes through the gut just because it's degraded like everything else that goes through it. Um, so it's a good marker of what we would call a distal uh, gut disease, so colon, so large intestine, but it may not be a very good marker of small intestine. So we're investigating now what can we do to, impro to improve our understanding and, uh, and find markers of in uh, small intestine disease, but we believe we have a good lead on uh, a marker that tells us about uh, large intestine uh, health. Costa discusses his key findings so far. The key finding so far is exactly that we just discussed. So we have identified a few candidate markers uh, that we are hoping to further validate it. We have uh, conducted a few studies showing that during, uh, in, during episodes of infection, of gut infection that cause a disease in the large intestine, these markers work well. They really tell us there is something wrong with these animals uh, and we can use this to say this might be a good time to start treatment or this might be a good time to call your veterinarian and, uh, and look for a diagnosis. But the, the main implication we're seeing in the years to come is we would like to bring um, what we call pen side testing to the industry. Our goal is that 
similar to what we have uh what have become very popular during the this COVID pandemic, uh, which is, you know, home tests where, you know, we wake up, you don't feel so well, you open up the box, grab a swab, you swab your nose, your throat, and you have a response in a few minutes saying, looks, you know, it may be positive for COVID or it may be not. We want to bring that kind of strategy, that kind of technology uh, to the swine industry and be able to do that uh, in the farm, right? So we want you to say, these animals, they have been weaned, uh, you know, a few days ago, they're still off feed. Is there something we could be doing better here? You know, let's sample uh, a small a proportion of these animals and see if their gut health is affected. Perhaps we should be offering them something different. Perhaps there is something else we can do to help these animals before the storm arrives, right? So there we have, we take action before it's too late. And he outlines the next steps in gut health research. I think in general, gut health research is going towards that, um, towards being able to characterize and clearly state what is a healthy gut. So we, like I said, the same way we can tell you, hey, if you have increased body temperature, you have fever, and that's very black and white. Uh, I believe the the field as a whole is moving towards can we find some kind of marker that will tell us there's something wrong with this gut? Let's act now because there is something worse uh, coming. So really, it's this early markers of gut health that are, uh, let's put it this way, the next step. And obviously, uh, w- there will be a multitude of interventions that will follow where we can hopefully improve gut health and prevent disease or control disease, uh, perhaps uh, improve, for example, general behavioral conditions. Um, so in humans, there's a lot of research associated with depression and gut health and microbiota. In pigs, we believe that uh, some stereotypes, so for example, tail biting, um, ear biting, some of that may be uh, impacted by gut health. So perhaps the research in the future will help will help us to understand that further and develop interventions that even though pigs may be under stress as they are weaned, as they are transported, we can minimize the impact of that stress and behavior because of we can improve gut health and, and improve that communication between the brain and the gut, right? The gut-brain axis. So there's a few um, different paths that gut health research is going to take on in the next few years, and those are the main two paths, I believe, that we'll, we'll see very interesting uh, developments. Dr. Matthias Costa is an assistant professor with the University of Saskatchewan's Western College of Veterinary Medicine. And that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program.